0: Hello and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast. I'm Christine Burns, and in this episode, I'm in New Yorkshire to speak to a mother who's had to come to terms with learning her child was transsexual and then having to struggle for that child to receive the treatment she needs. Susie, first of all, thanks for agreeing to speak to me. I I know your daughter particularly wants to retain her privacy, so we're going to use pseudonyms. um, But let's just start by establishing some, some basic facts. Your child was born an apparently normal boy, is that right?
1: Yeah, completely. Um, normal delivery, normal term, born with all the right parts, you know, you've got a baby boy, that was lovely. So so growing up, was there anything that suggested to you that your child might be different? Um, from before she could even speak, she was picking up with um, girl toys rather than the boy toys. Um, She was surrounded by boy stuff because she's my eldest child, so we only had boy things for her, but she wasn't interested in those. When we went round to other friends' and family's houses, she would gravitate towards... Um, the pink, the Barbies, the Polly Pockets. Um, she wanted to put the sparkly dresses on and the playing, the, the dressing up clothes, the Snow White, etc. She wasn't interested in boy stuff. From and as I say, from before she could even speak, there was a tendency to go towards the girl stuff. Um, when she was around three and a half, four years old, she actually told me God's made a mistake and I should have been a girl. But before that, nursery staff, when she started school when she was two and a half, the nursery staff said to me, you know, do you realise that that Lawrence is is playing with, you know, the girls all the time and goes for the little black dress and the pinny rather than the Superman capes, um, isn't interested in the rough and tumble things, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, you know, just, just let her, at the time him, just let him get on with it, let him play with what he wants to play with and we'll just see how it develops.
0: Mm, because because some would argue that, that that can be a natural stage for, for children that they experiment with the, the roles of the other gender. So can we sort of dig into really what, in, in Lauren's case, made it different?
1: Um, her, if you thought that she was sort of looking at a stage and playing with both gender stories, you could have said that, OK, so she's experimenting but it was just so specifically girl stuff she just wasn't interested in the boy stuff at all um, I, when she said to me when she was four God's made a mistake and I should have been a girl I spoke to my GP and the GP said to me you know, it could be a stage and you need to just you know, give him time to work through this and, and it might go away and if it doesn't then come back to me later and we'll talk about it some more um, and just keep an eye on it for now And just just let him know that it's okay to be a boy, but to like girl things, which is what I'd already done anyway. Um, But it was so marked. You know, everything, girl, was, was what he wanted. He never went towards anything boyish, not interested in... You know, guns. Not interested in action men. Not interested in any sort of make-believe games. If they played a make-believe game, you know, with his cousins or with his, you know, kids in the playground or with his friends, who were all primarily girls, you know, he he was a female in the game. He was the pink Power Ranger. Um, And fortunately, when he was younger, it was okay. The kids didn't really question it. But as he got older, they did, and they realised that it wasn't quite the same as everybody else and he started to be teased in school and it became sort of talked about and he was a bit then he was ostracized from the girls because they sort sort of started to sort of push him out and get the clicky little girls groups together when they were about six or seven so he became very withdrawn he was also asking me all the time can he wear um, girl things and he wanted when we went shopping for clothes, he wanted the the bright and the pink and the spangly and the tie dyed and you know and he would, you know, go along the racks of all the girl stuff and then very reluctantly pick out something that was sort of generic and in the middle, but with no enthusiasm at all.
0: What was the reaction of the, the rest of the family and other adults, teachers and so on towards that?
1: When when Lawrence was around sort of four or five years old, I started to look into it a little bit more because it was so entrenched. And when, when Lawrence was six, he actually asked me, when can I have the operation to chop off my willy and give me a fanny? Um, and I was so shocked. And I said, where have you heard about that? And he said, oh, I don't know, but can I have it now? <laughs> And I said, well, no, not really. You have to be a grown-up. You have to be 18 to be able to have that operation. And he was tremendously, tremendously upset and very depressed and very low for a little while after that because he thought that that was the solution to all his problems. And then to find out that that wasn't going to happen was a tremendous shock for him, I think.
0: So how did you go about trying to help him?
1: Well... When I started to realise that it wasn't going away, I did some research, spoke to the doctor again and did some research, and a friend of mine was a psychologist at Guy's Hospital, and he said that it's it's a condition, gender dysphoria, Um, and he dealt with a number of adult transsexuals, and he said through his dealings with them, a lot of them said that they knew in early childhood, um, maybe not necessarily that they wanted to be the opposite gender, but definitely that something was wrong or different and they hid it. and Lawrence never did so when I knew that he then actually found out the name of the London clinic who is the only specialist centre in the country which is the, the Tavistock Portman yeah. um, and he said he gave me some literature I then looked it up on the internet as well and read about it um, I also contacted Mermaids which is the child and family support group for under 18 year old um, kids with gender dysphoria and spoke to um, a lovely lady on the helpline who I talked about the things that were happening with Lawrence, and she she could tell me some of the other things that were happening from her experiences with her own child and with other people's children, and it was it was immensely comforting to actually speak to somebody else who'd been through the same things and understood how alone I felt with it all. Um, at that stage, I went back to my GP when Lawrence was seven. And asked to be referred. Because at that stage my um, now ex-husband and I were separating. And he was pushing me to make Lawrence be a boy. And I didn't think that persecuting Lawrence because of the way that he felt was a way to go forward with this. That all it would do is make an already miserable child mm, completely and utterly despondent. And I just couldn't do it. So I looked because I knew... Sort of generally, what gender dysphoria um, was and how it was being perceived um, and how it was treated at the Tavistock. I knew that I needed some support and some backup, and I also needed to know how to go forward in terms of school, how to go forward in terms of home, you know, what was the best way to, to deal with this for Lawrence's sake and for the rest of the family. So I got a referral quite quickly, actually. My GP was. Fabulous. She referred me to the local mental health team, and the guy who I met from the local mental health team had actually worked at the Tavistock and Portman already. So he saw Lawrence, and one of the first things he said to me, which was just so wonderful and such a relief, was that I didn't do this. Nothing I did could influence this. He actually pointed out to me that um, I had to younger sons and he said can you imagine trying to get one of your younger sons to wear a skirt and it was just well not in a million years you know complete boys complete guys complete set of their own personalities preferences and very very clear of their gender um, and he said well you haven't made this happen this isn't your fault and by supporting Lawrence with things for him to have at home that shows that you su- you know, you support, you love, you understand, and it's not bad, and he's not horrible, and he's not a nasty person for feeling this way. So said, you're doing the best thing. And that also gave me a massive amount of support in terms of being able to go back to the rest of my family and say, this is what I'm going to do about it because this is what I know this is. And then we got, as I say, we got the referral down to the Tavistock, um, but it's a long way away. You know, London, we were only able to go every three or four months, so there, there wasn't any real therapeutic um, relationship built up for Lawrence with the counsellors that were there because he just didn't see them often enough.
0: So there was no provision in between those appointments for anybody to sort of fill in in between more locally.
1: Um, eventually, when we we were we were in London, and then we moved up to Leeds when I separated and divorced, and we went to the local CAMS team. The local CAMS team did see us but they had no expertise with gender dysphoria so therefore they had to, we sort of set up like a, a, a referral system where we would see the local CAMS team about issues with Lawrence's self-esteem and confidence and um, in general sort of well-being but they couldn't actually deal with the gender dysphoria as it were because they had no experience with it um, and so it was like a constant toing and froing with the London team in terms of we don't know what to say about this so we'll go back to them um, problems with school again, when I went to the to the Tavistock and said I'm having tremendous trouble with Lawrence in school, he's been bullied called names, he's leaving school and coming home because he doesn't want to be there because it's so horrible there for him because the other kids are so mean to him um, They th- that happens a lot and it wasn't there wasn't really any emphasis on how to deal with it or how to try and change it. It was, I mean, one of the things they suggested was that um, Lawrence be moved to another unit, another sort of special unit. And when I spoke to the school about it, they said, well, where?
0: So there wasn't really any concern that this, this, this problem was actually affecting your child's education and, and through that mechanism, their future as well.
1: I think because it's a part-time clinic. I think they only have two full days, and they have, as I say, because we only went and saw them every three or four months. You know, the time between appointments for for Lawrence was so great that he, as I say, he didn't really have a relationship with them. The CAMS team were trying very hard, but this is something they had never dealt with before, and that's one of the issues that keeps coming up with this: is that gender dysphoria in children is so largely misunderstood, and so many kids hide it, and it is very rare. So schools haven't had experience; they've never dealt with it before. They don't know what to do, and for a while in primary school, when Lawrence was going as a boy to school but living As a girl at home, Um, that sort of settled him down for a short period of time, and then he was pushing to be able to be a girl all the time because this is who he who he was. This is just who she is, Um, and she constantly was sort of railing against the fact that she had to have a haircut she hated the haircut she would be in floods of tears every time i took her to the barbers with her brothers um and she she wanted to wear pretty things she didn't want to wear boys' school uniform and she started telling other children at school that she had a girl brain in a boy body and the school told me can't you tell her to shut up <laughs> Can you tell her to stop? And this, well, you know, we have discussed the fact that as she gets older, she might change her mind. I said, but she's so determined to be herself. You know, I, I tell her that it could end up with people being horrible to her, but it's more important for her to be herself than it is to hide. Can we just reflect? How old was Lauren at this time? Well, eight, nine. Um, they called me in once because they had an IT class and she um, emailed everybody that she had a girl brain in a boy body and they called me in and said can't you tell her to stop and I said not really and you know we've had discussions she knows that there's a possibility that this might resolve and she'll you know as she approaches puberty she may feel happier with being a boy than a girl at that stage I said but she's just so miserable being a boy outside of the home that she keeps pushing to be allowed to be herself all the time and this was part of it Um, and in the end when she got to about nine I'd say I just decided that what was the point in continuing to make her miserable by making her wear boy stuff outside of the house and have her hair cut when she told everybody anyway everybody knew how did her brothers react? Um, to be honest I think they've, they've just grown up with it so it's not a big deal to them they um, I think one of the things that, that obviously has sort of evolved because um, I've got uh, I've got two younger sons and the next one down is four years younger uh, than Lauren and then the next one is um, he's a year younger than his older brother so by the time they came along Lauren was already telling me that that and I already recognised that there was something different, something happening that was out of the norm. Um, I'd already started researching, you know, a little bit into it. Um, so by the time they actually got to an age where they were assessing what was going on around them, Lauren already had girl stuff at home. And we were already explaining to them, if they asked, it was, you know, Lauren's got a, a girl brain in her boy body. The outside is wrong f- for the inside. So unless you know she changes her mind then and and as i say as she got to sort of eight nine years old she was becoming so much more open and you know so much more voluble about what she wanted they grew up with it and they grew up with hearing me say that it's okay and it's it's absolutely fine and if it was and you know if they felt that way then they'd be fine to say so and i say Lauren was wearing girl stuff at home from about six, seven years old so that's all they really knew they saw her go to school in a boy uniform early on when they, they, were, they were young but by the time they sort of had memories of it I mean my youngest doesn't even remember Lauren ever being a boy so, so she's just their sister yeah just their big sister
0: let's talk now about the, 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 the clinic that you you talked to in, in, in London what was your experience with that?
1: Um, as I say, I think because I say, we didn't really have much of a chance to build up a major sort of <laughs> therapeutic um, uh, sort of relationship for Lauren with the staff. She did get to know the local CAMS team, um, local to where we lived, which was um, better. But still, there was certainly an element of they didn't really know where to go with it, so they had to keep referring back to, to um, the Tavistock for information and advice. And as time was going on, I was looking more and more into what was going to happen as, as, as Lauren got older, what was going to happen when she got to puberty and how that would affect her and I had joined um, an online group of parents from around the world and a lot of them are based in America and a number of them had children who were slightly older than Lauren who were talking about blocking medication I then researched blockers and found out about the Dutch protocol
0: Can I just take you back there, just for the benefit of of, of listeners? What are the issues that that confront children when they actually get to puberty then, and why is it important to talk about blockers?
1: When a child with gender dysphoria approaches puberty, there's basically two outcomes. They will either start through the early stages of puberty and gradually, as you know, that either the testosterone or the estrogen makes its mark, they will either, you know, th- th- they may well discover that they actually don't mind being the sex they were born with, but are gay. Uh, and to be fair, that's actually quite a high
0: proportion of the cases that the clinic sees.
1: Yes, that is quite a high proportion. So, one of the things I, I kept repeating to Lauren was that you know she might change her mind as she started to go through puberty she might actually decide actually it's okay to be a bloke but i like blokes i like men and i, I kept repeating to her, you don't know if this is going to stay the way that you feel now we don't know if this is going to continue you might change your mind and she was absolutely adamant i won't but then she said to me but i'll bear it in mind very cocky um you know, she, it was sort of like a waiting game up to a degree trying to deal with what was going on at home and at school and the reason I kept Lauren in, in boy clothes at school was for so long was so that if she did change then it wouldn't be such a big transition back again but she was so miserable and she told everybody anyway in the end I just decided well <laughs> I'd heard from other parents who'd had children like Lauren who'd gone through the early stages of their lives feeling that they wanted to be the opposite gender puberty began and they did change and but they'd lived in in the girl role and then changed back to the boy role so it doesn't make it as far as i from my experience it didn't make any difference whether you let them express themselves in the gender that they felt themselves to be anyway if they were transsexual they were transsexual and if they weren't they weren't and it would be resolved often around puberty with the onset of puberty um, and that's what I was waiting for to see whether or not that would change Lauren's mind but as well as that I also knew that if Lauren started through puberty there was, as far as I was concerned quite a high chance that she wouldn't change her mind and gender dysphoria for a child who believes they're in the wrong body Lauren had a girl brain in a boy body and I could imagine but obviously can't know what it would feel like to go through a male puberty when you are female on the inside and I knew that there were very high rates of attempted suicide that there were high rates of depression um, and self-harm and I thought as far as I was concerned that if if Lauren started through puberty and that began to rear its head that she felt her body changing against her will into something that she wasn't how would she react and I'd read the studies on the Dutch protocol I'd read the reports from the other parents in America and I was adamant that that Lauren would not have to go through too much of that process that I would stop it if that's the way that she felt because you know I wasn't going to see her go through that torture
0: can we just establish, them? what is the view of that clinic in London, the Tavistock and Portman? What's, what's their view on how to approach that issue for the, the proportion of children who, it turns out, are transsexual?
1: And they basically don't give any medical intervention until they're at least 16, by which time puberty is pretty much complete. So they want to see that puberty is completed, and of course
0: what they're talking about is, is changes that have become then irreversible changes physically to the bone structure and and so forth that can then only be corrected if they can be corrected by surgery.
1: Yeah, that's right. And never mind the fact that you have an adolescent who is dealing with all of the angst of being a teenager and at the same time their body is changing into something that they find horrific. And as I say, high incidence of, of teenage suicide attempts, high incidence of depression, plus the fact that you know, as they then go on into adulthood, the chances of actually leading a normal life without being ostracised and prejudiced against just because of the way that they look is, is you know, much lower. If they're lucky, you know, if, if Lauren had gone through a full male puberty, her estimated height would have been six foot four
0: so she have stood out, even even as a as, even as a boy. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, her, we we had a, a wrist X ray done, and a radiologist in this country and also in America looked at it and said, yeah, her estimated height would be six foot four.
0: Okay, you you've you've talked about America now because because you felt that because you couldn't get the sort of treatment for Lauren that you wanted in the UK, you needed to look further afield. So you went to see Dr Norman Spack in Boston. And and what's his
1: approach? Um, He follows the Dutch protocol, which follows the WPATH standards of care, which is basically that if a child um, has had long-term gender dysphoria, I mean, there's quite strict rules, long-term gender dysphoria that hasn't um, wavered and that there's no other psychological issues or problems and that they start through... Uh, their uh, biological puberty and find it distressing and unwanted then they will give um, completely reversible blocking medication to basically it just halts puberty in its tracks
0: so so they're not giving cross-sex hormones they're they're not proposing to give lauren uh, estrogen to to develop her breasts or to to uh, flesh out her shape simply to stop her Growing a beard, um, a voice breaking, developing an Adam's apple, and those sorts of characteristics.
1: Yeah, it basically it, it halts her at the stage she's now. So she's like sort of stuck in time, as it were, in terms of um, a pubertal process. She um, she still has her girl voice. She's about five foot ten. She's um, you, you know she looks speaks, appears to be completely female. Um, if she'd continue continued through the male puberty that she'd obviously, she obviously started before we intervened with the blocking process, then, as I say, she'd be six foot four with a beard and a broken voice by now. And Well, actually, no, I don't think she would be. I think she'd be dead because she told me I'd rather die than become a man. If I have to become a man and lose my voice, I'll kill myself first.
0: Now, are there any known side effects that are dangerous to, to, to hormone blocking?
1: No, hormone blockers are used by thousands of pediatricians across the world to halt early puberty, um, precocious puberty in children who start puberty at, say, 2, 3 or 4 years old. Um, so there was discussions at one point about whether or not the bone density of a child who's had their puberty stopped would be... Um, Impaired, and whether or not um, things like uh, arm and leg length, sort of, sort of their, their stature, and um, w- would be affected. And the Dutch wrote a paper last year that stated that after the child reaches 16, which is that when they consider they're eligible to give consent, adult consent, they start them on cross-sex hormones. And two years after the beginning of cross-sex hormones, the bone density is returned to normal for their age.
0: And, and what's known about the long-term outcomes for children in those positions? You, you've referred to the Dutch team a lot. This is this, the team in, uh, in, Amsterdam. in Amsterdam. And
1: they've treated... How many, how many patients have they treated? 70-plus um, now it is. And they've got a number of them who are in their 20s. None of them have reached 32, which is considered to be the age at which you can say, right, this is absolutely a success. But the kids who are 18-plus have normal bone density, and stature and for their age so and are considerably less um prone to mental health illnesses they're much happier with themselves and their lives and they pass so so you're getting this treatment
0: via Dr. Spack in, in in Boston and and what's Lauren's condition now
1: Um, well she's 15 she's the uh, you know she's just a girl she's just a girl teenage girl nicks my clothes nicks my makeup you know sort of hangs out with her friends taps me for money every time she can you know she realizes that as for her 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 life is different she has some major issues in terms of nobody will ever love her that's what she she thinks nobody will ever love her she thinks that she um is always going to be different but in terms of what she looks like, how she acts, the way that she is on a day-to-day basis—the moody, depressed, um, suicidal. She took a number of suic- she made a number of suicide attempts before she started the treatment. Um, that's that's gone. She's a much more well-balanced teenager, if you can have a well-balanced teenager. <laughs> but you know, she's just normal she's just normal she lives her life she goes to America she sees her lovely doctor who she absolutely adores who is such a fabulous person Um, she has her our GP is very supportive and although they couldn't prescribe because they're not experts and endocrinologists whatever they were sort of behind me the whole way in trying to get treatment for, for Lauren and when we ended up having to go to the States because the Tavistock rule is not before 16 under any circumstances so we then ended up having to go to the States. Um, they you know, they're happy to administer the injection so I don't have to do it so that Lauren doesn't have to have her mum giving her an injection in her bum once every four weeks, which she's immensely pleased about. And um I'll say she goes for her, she goes for her injections. She sees Norman every six months and in between if she needs any blood tests or anything like that, he emails me and tells me what he needs. I go to the GP, they authorise the tests and we send them off and the results and everything to America and he keeps a regular check on what's going on. I email him if I've got any concerns or if there's any issues and he emails me back but sometimes he just emails me to say how's she doing? And how's she getting on at school? Um, She was really badly bullied when she started secondary school. She went into school and she was still under Lawrence, which was my fault. I should have changed it before she started. But to be honest, there were so many children who'd been to primary school who had older brothers and sisters at, at the school that she went to that... She started school, and within days of being there, we had big kids turning up at the door saying, Oh, where's the tranny? Shouting it out into the other, into the classroom. She's been spat at. She's been kicked. She's been punched. She's had a skirt attempt to be pulled down on her way home from school. And these are just the things that sort of come to mind instantly. We've had the police involved on several occasions where boys have continually and constantly harassed her and called her freak and he, she and man beast. Um, and in the end, she just wasn't in school. And the school... We're trying their hardest to contain something that, in such a big school, is, is pretty uncontainable. Unless you approach it in the way of, I think, education. But then this is the first child that they'd ever dealt with, who had gender dysphoria, who presented as as you know op- the, the opposite gender to their birth gender. So they just didn't know what to do. So,
0: so what would be your recommendation to teachers, head teachers, in, placed in a position like this?
1: Um, I think before, if you know that that you've got a child that's coming into your school with, with gender dysphoria, and let's be honest, I knew from when Lauren was two that something was going on. So secondary school, we knew way before she started. If for maybe that year before she started school we could have had some education that went into you know the few years above not naming her or outing her or making her a target but general information about transgender and and transsexualism and what it means and the fact that it's, it's not a choice and the way that it's portrayed by the media to such a large extent is so sensationalist and it's just not based upon reality and a little bit of the science behind it, so they can understand that it, you know, that it's not a choice. Who would choose to go through what she has gone through?
0: Now, if schools were to do that, I know there's been a recent case in, in Bristol where some, some teaching materials have had to be withdrawn because some parents have said they would wanted to have been consulted on. This is to do with sexual orientation.
1: What would you say to those parents? Um, well, walk a day in my shoes quite honestly you know it, it's all very well trying to pretend that the big wide world isn't out there and that everybody is 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 cut out of the same mold but it's just not the case and for the future how do you feel
0: about Lauren's future how optimistic are you um
1: well she's doing okay at school now. We've moved to somewhere where nobody knows. So she's in a much smaller school. Um, The Education Welfare Officer actually came up trumps with that. They were brilliant because I did keep trying to get Lauren back into school and it just wasn't working. She'd go in, somebody would say something and she'd be at home in tears. Um, And in the end, I felt she was almost like panic stricken at the thought of being in a school building. And I didn't want a home teacher because I can't. I work and I've got younger children and I'm a single mother, and I just couldn't you know, afford to be off work as well. So we say, we got her moved into a, a much smaller school, much more protective environment. She's doing great. She's doing great. So, you know, um, much, much better. Much more settled, actually has now a chance of getting an education. Whereas, for the three years previously, when she started from when she started secondary school, she was there probably about 25% of the time overall because the bullying and the persecution was so bad. Now we're getting normal attendance, and and she's actually thinking that yeah, I might actually get some GCSEs at the end of this. Um, You know, so let's you know fingers crossed. She. We're completely outside of the NHS now because the, the only clinic in the country that is seen as being a specialist unit for this absolutely and continuing and consistently will not give treatment. Even though it's completely reversible, they will not give treatment before 16 years old.
0: How do you feel about that?
1: I think it's ridiculous. I don't believe... I mean, the Dutch are very careful with their screening process as to who is actually given the blocking treatment. Um, the Tavistock give their wholesale figures in terms of, of all the children that come to see us this many change their mind well yeah that many changed their mind but how many children like Lauren who start through puberty and feel as tormented as she did then change their minds and the fact is, is, is <laughs> I don't think they can come up with, with any um, but they haven't got any data every time I question them as to what they had in terms of real data to back up their decisions about their treatment. Um, I kept saying to them, you know, the WPATH guidelines. They state you give blockers as puberty as you know as puberty commen- commences, and if a child can has you know considerable distress through the begins of puberty, they say you give blockers. Why don't you follow the WPATH guidelines? And they say, well, they've got no data to back up that. And I said, well, neither of you. I said, but the children that you're dealing with are left with a lifelong legacy of massive surgical intervention to correct what you have allowed to happen, which is so easily prevented. Um, and still, the chances are, especially with Lauren's case, she would have been six foot four. She would never have passed. She would have stuck out, as you say, even as a man. She would have been noticeable because of her height. You yeah. as a woman... She would, have, she would have had an awful time trying to pass with what would be massive handicaps. There's nothing you can do about the bone structure. You know, the fact that she would have been that height, the fact that uh, her hands would have, and her feet would have been um, obviously much larger than they are now, the fact that her voice would have broken, the fact that her jaw would have changed shape, her face would have changed shape. She would have had to have thousands and thousands of pounds worth of surgery to correct that. And it can be held at bay so easily, and that then gives the child time to think about what they want. So if next year, when Lauren's 16, she turns to me and goes, actually, I'm not really sure whether this is what I want. You take away the blocking medication, and a normal puberty resumes within three to six months. So what, what is the big deal about giving them this medication that can literally save lives? I believe it's, it's going to save Lauren's.